Welcome one and all to a new week of Crash Chords Podcast. Welcome all you Crash Chordians. Chordsians. Chordsians? Crash Chordsians? Yeah, otherwise Hardsy. you're dropping the S. That's, oh, that's, that's true. in our name. Oh, that's true. Can't drop that how S. About we, how about Mixolydians? How about Remixolydians? That's, I, that hasn't been a thing, has it? I'm, I'm very shamed that I did not come up with these puns. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should be. Yes. Um, real quick, before we get into this week's album, which John brought us, um, I want to give a shout out to um, a bunch of bands I saw last Friday as I teased on the show. I went to see MC Lars again, um, who is safely at this point a good friend of the podcast, um, along with Megaran, Handjob Academy, Tron and DVD, and Word Burglar. If you haven't guessed by now, I went to a Nerdcore show. Um, it was good. Word Burglar? Word Burglar. He's from Canada. I. Okay, you're gonna lead with that, but sure. Woodberg—that's I like that. Well, and he I burgling really our like words that. across the border. Well, he he has a lyric in one of his songs where he talks about burgling your words, and so yeah, he's he's very clever actually. I'd like he has a a song called "Your Friend's Brother," and he sings about when you're growing up, your friend's brother. You know, the guy who's shady. You never really saw him a lot. He wore a trench coat, and combat boots. Mm. He disappeared and never heard anything about him after high school. It's actually a very clever song about that those. guy that everybody knows. Yeah, I have yeah, one, I of those I guys. have one of those guys. Your friend's, yeah. your friend's brother. It was, yeah. it was pretty funny. Sometimes it's your brother's friend. Right. Yeah. So that's a song worth, worth checking out that I remember from Word Burkler's set. But uh, but yeah, it was good to connect with Megaran and uh, MC Lars again. MC Lars is probably the nicest person I've ever met, ever. He's just always very friendly, happy to see me. Um, Megaran, I got to chat with about, a bit about his new record, which you talked about in his interview, but it had been before it was out. So I got to lament with him a bit about the stuff that I've now heard and that I really liked. Like, he's had two personas. One was random, and then he became Megaran as he broke into Nerdcore. And there's a song on the new album where uh, Random confronts Megaran Mega on his success now in Nerdcore and calling him out for all the things he left behind, like a harder rhymes style, not talking about injustices in the world. It's really interesting is to it, kind of it, be confronted with yourself in song narrative. Like a Kilgore Trout, Kurt Vonnegut thing going on. Yeah, okay. it, it was really interesting track. And so, Wasn't that the kind of the, the Schaefer the Dark Lord concept on Sick Passenger? The, of the yeah. whole album? Having well, a, a psychological well, breakdown? Sort of, but this is literally just being confronted with your former self as a separate person, gotcha. commenting you know, on, on your so success. So this is genuinely schizophrenic? Yes. Okay. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, so it was good to chat with him a bit about that. Um, always go great to catch up with the ladies of Handjob Academy. They do some great stuff that I'm a very big fan of. Their newest record is called Hashtag Ikea Monkey. So definitely go check that out. Yeah, a lot of people searching that. <laughs> Why the hashtag? Right? <laughs> Just wondering. Why not? Because, you know, so you can. Um, but it was a great show, and I had a blast. Um, I also ran into, at the show, in the audience... One Lewis Logic, who I had not seen since he and I both got married last year. Really? That's cool. Yeah, so it was good to catch up with him. Yeah. He's hopefully going to come on autographs later this year. He's been pretty busy, but uh, but it was ex exciting to catch up with him because I hadn't seen him in a while. Um, and all of these artists, uh, far and wide, both send their love to this show and the other show. And uh, I'm hoping to bring some of them back on either or. So, yeah, if you haven't seen any of those bands or heard any of their music, 
please go check them out. It was a lot of fun. I have pictures on my personal Facebook page of the show. They'll probably be on the Crash Course page eventually when I feel like posting them. I had a good week. Did you? Yeah. What'd you do? No. I had a good week. I had I had a I week. Had, I had a very, very rough week, train show kind of style. It was very rough, very rough. I hate I hate having to drive a lot and, and set things up and put them away. I boxed some things five times this past week. It's been terrible. Your other host contributions, folks. Oh, I, <laughs> all right. I do have one update. I will be speaking soon uh, for Classical Light with David Kronos. Uh, excuse me, David Harrington of the Kronos Quartet. Um, that He would really have identified with his own quartet if he actually changed his last name to Kronos <laughs> by now. But then again, maybe that's not so surprising. The quartet has actually been around for 42 years. Wow. He is started it in uh, 1973. Not all the same members, but a couple of them are the same. Is this a phone interview, email interview? Uh, email interview. Email. So, Interesting. Send some questions. Bill will be expecting them soon for the uh, exciting events that he has upcoming in uh, early April, the 50 for the Future project, which will actually publish several pieces that were commissioned by the Kronos Quartet uh, for 50 composers, all writing their own pieces, and they will be published onto the internet. The scores themselves will be available for free along with the recordings so that people can actually learn the 21st century repertoire, which oh, has never been available for contemporary classical music. It's always kind of been shrouded in, uh, you know, whatever you've learned from, let's say, your composition professors and whatnot. Interesting. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's it a, is pretty yeah. cool. I have more updates on that when it comes up. I was going to say, you should see if you can slip them a second set of questions for our website. <laughs> or just answer them twice. Get out of here. <laughs> now, button in on your Rignetta thing. Actually, I will be most definitely butting yes. in on your um, Rignetta thing, which is published today. Yes. Not the day this is released, but the day they we're, were recording. Yes. Steve reminds me, please do check out this past week, uh, my newest interview for Crash Course Autographs was with the one and only Mike Rugnetta, or Rugnega, Rugnetta, depending on how you want to pronounce it. <laughs> I've heard it both ways, as John would say. Um, which was a delightful inf interview. I'm a fan of Idea Channel, which we've brought up on the show before, and uh, we talked about his podcast, Reasonably Sound, which if we do a return to more, mu even more music podcasts as a uh, uh, 50 block uh, anniversary uh, theme, I will definitely want to talk about his because it's the closest to our podcast in how it analyzes and discusses topic-wise. So it would be interesting to bring up. Critical theory. Um, and uh, he was a blast to chat with. It was an in-person interview, which I don't get to do many of, but I'm going to try and do more of in the city. Um, he's a Brooklyn local like I am, so uh, it was fun to connect with him and chat. And hopefully he will be on this show sometime in the future. He said he would definitely be stoked to dissect an album with us. So please go check that out. Comment. Let me know something I maybe should have asked him that I didn't or anything you're interested to know about him. I'll pass along. Um, please interact and enjoy. And interrupt. And interrupt. Yeah. Um, which you didn't interrupt with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> John, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what we're doing today. Today we're doing a new band, Heron Oblivion. It's their debut album, and this kind of snuck up on me. I was really searching for a band last week. I couldn't figure it out, because a lot of the ones that I have ideas for, it's like, oh, I've listened to it so much that I really wasn't quite feeling it as a, a talking point. Oh, it's something that we've done recently, because we try not to do too much of the same type of music, same genre. Try too to keep often. it diverse, you know. Yeah. Uh we so, only have an episode a week, so if you have 52 uh, or 50 episodes a year, as we do, then you might as well search every genre you can. Yeah, I don't want to do indie 50 times in a row. Yeah. Not that, you know, they we are, can't. They, they are but, plentiful. <laughs> yes. And I was I was really just going through some of the, the websites that I go to for new music, and I saw that releasing on March 4th, 2016, Psychedelic Rock. And I went, 
I haven't heard psychedelic rock in a very long time, at least not fresh new stuff. It was something I listened to growing up because, well, it's part of the classic rock block. Country rock, southern rock, which is technically different, surf, experimental, you've got prog, you've got the real rock and roll stuff, and psychedelic rock, it's just something that kind of petered out after a while in the 70s and 80s. It didn't really seem to get updated the same sort of way that these other styles have. Country and Southern rock really became a lot of the folk and indie that we're hearing nowadays. The more alternative stemmed from Prague, stemmed from the experimental stuff. But psychedelic rock really seemed to be a a decade-specific type of music. So when I saw a band was producing a brand new, very much labeled psychedelic rock, I had to go with it. It is interesting because, and we're probably going to be having more of this discussion in the concept of, of psychedelic rock as to whether it's really even a genre at all or whether it's just a, a series of moods because that may explain one reason why people don't really hear about it so much today. It's not to say that it's not actually done, but it's would it really be, would it really sound anything like what they were releasing in the 70s? No, it would be through the lens of today in whatever sort of mind-warping medium you might choose presently as opposed to what they were choosing then. It's it's whatever smorgasbord you have at your disposal that lends itself to really warping the mind out. I, I would lend it maybe a little bit to Prague also because Prague tends to take different forms. So I, I would liken it to that, this idea that it's kind of an emotional state that's attached to several types of music, but yeah. not necessarily specifically one. It yeah. can kind of come and go. Yeah, and, and I guess to get the elephant out of the room, of course it's associated with drug culture and whatnot, yeah. which was, I think, more... It was more important to discuss, I guess, in the 70s. It's maybe that's why the name came around, because that's when it was suddenly a new topic of conversation. It hadn't really been a topic of conversation prior to the 60s and 70s, where it was like a new aesthetic that people didn't necessarily experience before, at least not in at, to the numbers that they started experiencing in the 60s and 70s. But, sure. you know, it's been kind of static, if even waning since then. So maybe that's why it's not discussed. Who knows? It could be. All right. But the band itself is actually made up of a couple different component parts. You have some musicians actually were from uh, Comets on Fire, which was a noise rock band from the late 90s. Assemble Head and Sunburst Sound, and yes, that's a mouthful, <laughs> which was a another uh, psychedelic rock. And then the lead vocalist and drummer, Meg Baird, which I found to be another point for the album. A lead vocalist-drummer combination is something that is is kind of unique. You don't get that too often because of what drumming usually means for the person doing it. In it, fact, it tends to be very, very difficult to do anything else. The only other band, I think, in, in, in what was under our purview that has actually done that was Death From Above 1979, yeah. uh, where the, the drummer, I believe, was the vocalist who and leaned, paired only with the bassist. Who leaned very similarly in this vein of music, I'd say. But heavier. But much, much heavier, heavier, but still in the same kind yeah. of aura. Um, and also, just go figure, of course, it's in their name, Death From Above 1979. They, if, if even to invoke a little bit of this, they had to harken back to the era. Yeah, and the only other one I can name off the top of my head is Sum 41. One of the vocalists would often um, do vocals, backing vocals and drum, but the, he wasn't, Dexter was the lead vocalist, I believe his name was Dexter, did most of the singing, but uh, but there were, were songs where he drummed and sang, but it was a lot of, you know, call back, calling back and call and response and that kind of stuff with between the verses. That said, though, there's, there's, there's two extremes. You're either going to thrash out or you're going to... Mm, pare it down a bit because it's, it's if you're gonna 
warp the mind in any capacity, and this is even assuming this is anywhere on their minds. It's called psychedelic rock, but most people, I don't think, actually call themselves psychedelic rock. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Who really knows? They were, they seem to be going for something a lot more atmospheric, which is why I say, you know, they're the lighter side to this, the kind that was often attributed to Pink Floyd, for instance, one of the probably most cited psychedelic rock bands of all time. Just as equally, they were also really into prog. So, uh, you know, you can go either way with this. But this... Being that it's their debut album, uh, I feel like it's very telling of what their style is, and in general, they don't really thrash out too much. They do a little bit, but the time that's spent where they really want to uh, settle you down and immerse you in this relaxing environment, that seems to be the bulk of this. And that's what we start off with in the very first track, Beneath Fields, um, which is fairly on the long side, at least for, uh, you know, as far as pop standards are concerned, it's 7 minutes and 30 seconds. Um, most of the tracks in this album tend to be a little bit on the longer side, but it's because they tend to be a little bit on the slower side. Being slower, you can actually kind of stretch out the standard uh, format, the standard pop format, into that exact time frame without necessarily incorporating multiple sections. What I like here on this first track is that we get the kind of slow guitar that's going to be kind of the backbone of this record, but also the way the percussion comes in pretty early on is very faintly. There's no heavy hits. There's no heavy percussion. It just kind of comes in almost like a tribal rhythm, but not really. Once you can start to hear it, it feels less tribal, but it's definitely a lower tone like you would hear in a tribal setting. It's because it's more along the lines of uh, a bongo style than anything It's definitely else. not just a drum set. It's exactly. something else. It's, yeah, it's it a feels little like more... a hand-on-skin kind of a thing. Exactly. This, though, works very well with the up-and-down picking, the very simple picking of the guitar. I, I like how it's. it doesn't feel like it's really fitting into any specific, like, uh, locational style it seems to just be a, a nice easy burn it's less it's less up and down it's more circular I thought it, it actually starts off in the very very beginning of the track with just this very delicate and very even electric guitar uh, figuration it's very warm it's a very open sound open in some ways to interpretation because the guitar doesn't necessarily commit 100% to a particular chord just yet. It's just C-sharp appears to be our home, and then we throw in the fifth, we throw in the seventh, and just rock happily between those notes. And then after that, we do get the drums fairly early on, and I thought it added a lot of space to the music mm -hmm. because yeah, the, guitar, the guitar can seem like kind of a, a central ruminative figure, but it, suddenly against the backdrop of the drums, you know, it's in a much larger setting now, like the spotlight has just widened the shutter a little bit to reveal uh, the other players. And I also got exactly what you got, uh, Matt. It is a very tribal, kind of earthy sound. Yeah. In fact, uh, the timbre of the drums, I thought felt very ancient. Uh, because it has kind of a, a fullness to it, like it's covered in a, this kind of raw hide that was like obtained from the hunt or something like that. You don't hear that too often within drums. No, that's exactly what I meant by like the hand on skin I said earlier. Yeah. I think also it kind of built, like you're saying, it builds an atmosphere. Like you really feel like you're in a place with this. And it, it's reminiscent to me, although the sound itself is not necessarily a kind of old school folk sound. The, the atmosphere building reminds me of storytelling, which takes me back to folk and folk-related music. And even even the rhythm itself that yeah. it chooses, this like one and three, four, one and three. Like you feel like there's like some kind of ritual mm -hmm. taking place. It's yeah. amazing. Which is when the lead guitar comes in and starts doing it's very It's very segmented, but really free, brief, just explosions of noise on this very 
quiet backdrop that I'm I'm enjoying everything that's going on at this point. I really am starting to get very immersed in what this band is doing. It kicks in and spurts, which I think gives a unique character to a lead guitar that we don't see a lot in this kind of music that's building. Usually guitar work like this wants to show off pretty quick and we complain about that a lot whereas here the the notes i guess we can call finger quotes fancy but but really it's kind of just having these breathy accents it's more of a minor flourish that yeah. the second guitar which it becomes really the lead it, it's it's very sparse it comes in spurts like like you said but it's it's uh, it's it's more what I think what directly reminded me of the whole Pink Floydian guitar style because it's kind of what brought me into that sort of age-old uh, sure. psychedelic um, feel. I think it had to do with the effects pedal more than anything and also the whammy bar. But just because it's, it comes in these spurts, you know, it's just sort of like enchanting and then, well, you're, you're right back to the, you know, the by the numbers of the ritual and whatnot. Um, but then shortly after that, well, then again, not shortly after that, because there was a good while here where I actually expected this to be an instrumental. Yeah. There was a good while where I was just like, oh, they can do this for, I, I want to see what they can do. They didn't expect vocals necessarily, but we do get vocals and that is uh, Meg Baird. So a very light and airy voice doesn't even begin to describe it. it. It blends nicely, I thought, with everything else because nothing else is really even close to rocking out. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's it's all very, it's in the same register and it kind of eases you back. You just feel like you're lodged in a couch and you have no anticipations of getting up anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I, what I like to think about most about her vocals is that it has this kind of warmth and familiarity to it. It doesn't sound like something ubiquitous familiarity. It's more this idea of something that you can lean into that you would expect, like the warmth of a mother's touch or a lover's touch kind of a thing. It kind of just enraptures you. In the tribal nature of the percussion and, and the rhythm guitar, it makes her voice feel old. And I'm not saying old as in she's an elderly lady or anything of that sort. Maybe I mean, wise. Old as in it comes from something that predates not. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. timeless. Almost. Not timeless. I wouldn't say it's it's not one of those awe-grabbing okay. kind of moments because this still feels very grounded. The 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 spurts of the of the lead guitar coming in here and flourishing are completely absent in her vocals. She feels like she nestles perfectly in between the percussion and rhythm guitar. Here. Like the kind of melody that might be passed down through oral tradition exactly. from generation yeah. to generation. I feel you now. It's 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 something that's just very comforting. It's very inviting too. Like it draws you in. It really does kind of lead you by the Interestingly ear. though, it did remind me of a particular melody and it was actually this may seem out of left field for some listeners, but it it actually reminded me of the immigrant song by Led Zeppelin. Not necessarily with well, the I screeching it. in it. Not not the screeching not not the, the, the style of vocals necessarily, but the melody itself. You just mm -hmm. listen to the patterns of the notes. I noticed certain little things there that melodically reminded me of that song, which was kind of going eh, from the same angle. It's called the inner Immigrant Song. If you listen to the lyrics there, it was talking about, you know, the days of yore and whatnot. Eh, pulling from that aesthetic. Not necessarily tradition, because it's all kind of put on, but aesthetic. I will say at this point, my first kind of downside to this these vocals at this point, and they become clearer later, is that the way she's singing and the way she is well, so well nestled is that I am losing some of the lyrical content. I'm not understanding the words. And that was kind of a problem for me. Like I really liked her voice and I wanted to learn from it. Especially in the way we're talking about how it's supposed to be this wise kind of inviting voice. It's like, please but, tell me your narrative. And I'm kind of losing it in translation. I would, I would say and I agree that that is a problem, but I would say that it keeps the vocals kind of fey, kind of a little bit outside the norm. They're grounded. They do feel of the earth. They just don't feel 
a hundred percent person. They feel sure. a little bit wild in that the way they mesh together with everything else. Well, like that oral tradition thing. It's like in some sense, you the, the the singer is not even really there. It feels like she's just a vessel for the some, tale that is yeah, passing yeah. down. Else. It's something. Yeah. It feels bigger than it is. And having the duality between her vocals and the lead guitar because they never compete with one another here. They they never are showcasing when the other one is performing, and I love that. The the guitar itself, though, has a lot of whammy on it. It has a lot of distortion on it. Whammy! Sorry, it's, I don't know. I just no. felt the need to do that. <laughs> no, no, no. Just to take us completely out of the moment here. <laughs> it's very... It seems like it's got a lot of power chords to mm-hmm. it. It seems like it's got a lot of, like, like, energy to it that's just being stifled. And I like that there's there's almost not a wet blanket but sort of something something really screwing with the just the output of it it can't quite get through there's something electric messing with it well yeah that was the section especially following the verse yeah the, the the guitar accents they're much heavier it's still painfully slow um but it is just temporarily much heavier it's a kind of transition which um you you she tends to use or they tend to use between verse and chorus sort of um because it takes a while. It's a long transition. You assume that it's going to lead to a second stanza, and it will, but not before a very interesting choice. Uh, there's a couple of very strange pivot chords. I think it moved, uh, if you assume that we're in C-sharp minor, sort of, then I believe it moved us to an E major 7, which seemed a little bit out of left field because the chord progression wasn't really leading us in that direction. Uh, I believe that was the chord. Don't hold me to that. But what I found fascinating about this moment is that it's hard to say whether this was a moment of peace or of regret or of disruption within the context of all this, but I liked it because it broke up the monotony and then out of this chord, it kind of just seeps its way right back into the overall structure and then we do get the second verse. It was a really fascinating moment. It occurred three times in the piece overall, I remember. And those moments, if not for them, the first two thirds of the song would feel not cookie cutter, but actually at least very much similar to each other, folds of each other, because her, her cadence and the way the lyrics are delivered and the instrumentation of most of the piece does kind of feel cyclical but yep. those moments make it stand out until we get to like i guess what we can call the solo moment or the bridge you don't have to call it that it, it is, is yeah. it is a guitar solo ish well what i like here is so the, this kind of instrumental bridge that we get that the solo leads the solo isn't show offy it's very much kind of playing with you in the same way that it's inviting you in like the lyrics had been and it's it's just dabbling i guess we can say i it's I thought it was right out of the page of uh, some of the great classic rock, some of the sure. great psychedelic rock bands. Um, it's hard to say what I liked about it and what I didn't like about it. In some sense, what I liked here was that it felt very married to, let's say, the pervading uh, secondary guitar figuration that we were describing earlier on that comes in just very sparingly. It was really married to that. I thought that with the, the solo had just kind of developed that small little figure into something much larger. So that's what I liked about it. At the same time, um, it also felt like it was uh, like a, a war call from a cliffside because there was a lot of wailing in here and it started to get very strung out in, in some sense um, before finally leading us to that, that wonderful chord again. It was... It was interesting, but it also felt like it was unraveling a little bit. I um, Maybe that was the point. Maybe that was the whole Could structure be. of it. I guess if you're talking about psychedelic rock, there's some level of unraveling entailed. Well, I don't know. It, does, it doesn't just use the, the pivot chord to go back into another verse. It, it does kind of 
reshape itself back to a more familiar feeling when it gets time to go back to the verse. And this is another point of the overall length of the track. It takes its time to give you a good 15, 20, 25 seconds mm-hmm. even to go back to the familiar after we've already hit those uh, wailing war calls. I don't know what else to call sure. them. Um, to make you make you more familiar with the track again and to bring back that verse. What I, what was disappointing for this track for me was I loved that solo. I really enjoyed that solo and how the buildup really did allow me to immerse myself in just the random nature of what was going on. I kind of wanted that to be the outro. I kind of wanted that to be the the introduction of this album to be that kind of carry-on call. It it wouldn't make sense in context of the rest of the album in many ways because none of the songs really do that, really are a call to arms or anything like that. But I kind of wanted it for this track to be the end. I mean, I I think it goes either way with me because in some sense, I feel like the fact that they were able to work it back into the final verse made it a very cohesive structure. It had sure. a kind of a beginning, middle, and end, and that was the climax of sorts. Um, wouldn't necessarily be the case if that was at the tail end. Maybe that would have been a little predictable, or maybe they didn't have a good fade-out, or they would have had to resorted to a fade-out period. I, I think it was worked in well. Frankly, I think I'm turning around on this song, really, despite what I said before. I mean, for a seven-minute song to, to start us off, it actually manages to be very well-rounded. I mean, you don't really feel like there's a lot of fluff involved. Going back to what I said in the very beginning, the verse-chorus structure of it all, it's just, it's, it's, a tight, it's a tight product. I would agree. I mean, I, it definitely doesn't feel its length. You know, longer songs tend to kind of worry us sometimes because some can be trying, but this one does move and keep you engaged. Like I said, my only complaint was initially with the vocals, I would have liked to hear the lyrics, understand the lyrics a little better, but I did get a sense of the emotional and spiritual kind of place this song was coming from just by the sound. So, Excuse me, verse a transition, really, because it's not really yeah, much of a chorus to speak that's of. That's true. It's, it's, it's or the maybe, old school stanza, you know, it's, I would it's, even it's a call poem. The, I, would, I would call the guitar work the chorus work of the entire track, because it's what kind of yeah. is yeah. the carry What I had been the calling the transition, yeah, yeah as really no chorus to speak of. All right, uh, let's go to track two, Oriar. Um, a little bit on the shorter side, four minutes, 12 seconds. Yeah, that's short for this album. But it kicks up the energy. It starts with a lot more energy. I mean, we've got some screechy guitars pretty much from the get-go, kind of showing off a little bit. Not too showy, but definitely kind of getting in your face. Definitely a more aggressive start than... I would say the previous song for sure. Yeah, I, I I didn't really expect some honest to goodness rock involved here. I mean, yeah. the guitar is all whammy happy and all, and it boils down to another somewhat tribal drum riff. Uh, mm-hmm. All things considered, more like a one and four one and four one. This whole round, um, and then of course a new melody from the vocalist, which also felt strangely familiar. Maybe it's because the rest of this song had more oomph behind it. I, I, I couldn't think of what this was for a while, and then finally I thought of it. This, as far as a modern uh, reference is concerned, it really reminded me of the December's 2009 album The Hazards of Love. Almost specifically like the reprise of, of The One Thing Comes in Waves, as sung by uh, guest vocalist Shara Warden. Um, it's like that, but without 
without the power, vocally speaking, but it has the power in the rest of the instrumentation. It's just a weird little uh, combo there, but it was the melody, I think, that reminded me of it most. Yeah, I didn't make that connection immediately, but I did lean towards it reminding me of Irish folk, which, if you're talking Decembrists, I mean, they are completely inspired by that kind of stuff, so, you know, yeah. I was led to that, and I think it's the drum beat that brought me there, too. That kind of rhythm that you described very much is reminiscent of a lot of the folk songs that I've heard. And so I kind of made a similar connection, though not to the, quite the same length that you did. And the vocal echo is for real here. Like this one, it's if she was in a big open room earlier, now Meg is, is screeching and screaming and, and talking to us from a, a meadow that's a mile away. But we're still hearing those distant reports from her. It's such a removed vocal style, but I, it's still so clear and emotional in what it's delivering. It's 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 weird. Like it does sound distant, but it also I didn't feel it was necessarily powerful, and yet I feel like I, it's conveyed with some power behind it. That's what I mean. Behind yeah. the message, and then the music suggests that uh, it's kind of somewhere in the middle here. I always feel like her vocals are are almost plastered on, and I don't mean that in the negative sense. I mean that more as just like. They're, they exist as a separate entity, like maybe the song could exist by itself or as a piece, and then with her vocals, you just get the extra little bit of message, almost like the exact inverse of the poem that could have music in the background. Doesn't necessarily need it, it was published without the music, but you might just bring in that, you know, that, that, that moody uh, noir drum set, you know, just to set the tone. Sure. It feels like the inverse of that. Um, and it does bring us to a guitar solo fairly quickly. About two earlier. minutes in or yeah. so. Earlier, yeah. all right, yeah, middle early. But um, this was a different kind of guitar solo mm -hmm. because it was a lot more distorted. And apart from just simply being distorted, it's it's in a narrow register. It really yeah. just, go, you know, just small intervals, just waning up and down for a little bit. bit. And I... It takes some balls to do that, frankly, because it's not the kind of thing that, you know, people hear solos and they want more elaborate flourishes, but this is just very confined, and I, I, I kind of immediately began wondering what, what, what the goal of that was. I mean, for me, even though it was confined, it still moved, and I felt like it was kind of almost like a narrator. It was kind of telling a story in tones, because it didn't stay the same, it just stayed within that field of view but I still felt it moved enough that it was telling me something. And it was really interesting, especially comparatively to the solo we'd gotten in the previous track. Yeah, this guitar felt like a counterpoint to something. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what. I don't know. I don't want I really don't want to know. That's there's a mystery behind a lot of what's going on here that I'm I'm intrigued by. I'm enjoying just just sitting back, relaxing and, and listening to this music and going, huh, I I, I I know something's going on, but it's kinda of like watching a foreign film. It's engrossing, but at the same time, without the subtitles, you're not getting everything that's going on. You're just getting the general feels of, of what this character and that character and what the setting is presenting. Yeah, and also it's because the overall structure of this track is that of deterioration. I mean, most of the content that we get from the vocalist is in the very beginning. And then in the middle there, we get that guitar solo. And just to distinguish this from the section that comes afterwards, um, the section afterwards is really the entire outro of the track. And it begins somewhat closer to the middle. Like, we're talking around the uh, two and a half minute mark two, two yeah. and a half minute mark yeah and it does that throughout the end of the song it's it's interesting because this was more that of like a helter skelter kind of feel the way they just completely unravel it they're they're again to use that expression warping your mind in some sense 
And I, I like me some Helter Skelter, but honestly, I had a really weird experience with this track because it was almost a, a dual experience, one positive and one negative. When I heard it on headphones, I didn't particularly think this was uh, very well mixed. I, I, I thought that it was a little bit flat, a little bit bland. The production quality maybe not at its peak because it's their debut and maybe not... You know, they didn't work, weren't working with the highest equipment necessarily. But then, when I experienced it on speakers, because we always try to give, you know, both angles here. Different people listen to music different ways, you know, on different sources. Um, I know I kind of paraphrased your, your early expression. <laughs> Everyone listens to music differently. Well, it's not the thing that I was going for. But specifically, when it comes to acoustic experience, this was like polar opposites with me. And I, haven't, I can't remember an occasion in which I had been so diametrically opposed on speakers. I was loving it. And I thought it was perfectly balanced, and it actually at least held up with Helter Skelter. Whereas on headphones, eh, I, I was I was hoping for some George Martin, which unfortunately, as far as recent events take us, well, we can't have George Martin anymore. Recently passed. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I think I kind of felt that way both on headphones and on the speaker. I just felt like the the heavier parts were a little aggressive for me. I mean, I didn't dislike them, but they definitely felt cluttered comparatively to the rest of the track. And again, but that could I be like the I like them as the counterpoint. Uh, that's that's I hear the argument that. I, I'm going to make. It's there's, there's enough emotion in them that's related to the track itself. The bass, that's one thing I want to talk about. The bass is part of the melody. I really enjoyed it. It felt like that piece, particularly, kept everything from really unraveling, really falling apart for the bulk of the track. It felt like it was a solid anchor. So when I'm hearing the guitar work and I'm hearing the distorted nature, I still have home to go to. When I'm hearing the vocals, I still have home to go to. Because of that, I felt like it wasn't too separate from one another energy-wise, theme-wise. I felt like it really did marry very well together, even though they are so so diametrically opposed. I don't want to confuse what I was saying, though. I never said that they didn't fit together. I just didn't enjoy it. I mean, I just think that it was too aggressive for the track for my taste. It was less about them not marrying together, because at this point, the message is still kind of obscured enough that things can go together pretty well no matter what they do. It's literally, I just didn't enjoy the shift personally. Well, it is curious that, you know, it's a, it's a track that is shorter for this album, and they kind of ditched the primary content about halfway through a little over halfway through the track. First for the, the shorter guitar solo that was much more direct where there's really only one guitar present and then finally to burst out with this extensive outro. Um, it, it was a curious choice for only the second track but just to elucidate what I was saying it, it may not just be the mixing it may have actually been the music itself that really bothered me again on the headphones experience. I It felt a little bit rambly like you know, you have these two brazen monoliths of, of, of distortion on one hand and then stream of consciousness on the other. And I guess I had a hard time latching onto something particularly lovable or addictive in a way, and that might have been your problem, Matt. Um, I think they want you to latch onto the main guitar there, uh, and there was a riff there, but it was it was a little a little weak and a little bit generic. So I guess it it begs the question: Why did I like, let's say, Helter Skelter in the first place? And maybe it just does come down to the mixing. I don't know. Uh, weird. <laughs> <laughs> 
And they can't always listen to music the same way. It depends on one day to the next. Uh, let's go to track three and see if we find some more consensus. Um, Sudden Lament, which is, in fact, the shortest track on the entire album at only three minutes and 51 seconds. Which is still not terribly short for a song in general. We've heard shorter. Oh, it's, it's oh, yeah. in the average. Come yeah, on. There we go. It's above, a little bit above average. <laughs> Semantics. <laughs> anyway. I don't want a two-minute pop track. Come on. But uh, speaking of mixing, since that was the last point I was on, I, I did feel that they were kind of bringing it down to more uh, southern gothic territory in this particular track. Oh, yeah, like a, like a, like a Rhodes 66 kind of, Route 66, excuse me. And I think that was achieved partly by the music, but also because of the mixing. Maybe just because that's what it took to achieve this particular kind of atmosphere. So, I don't know. Well, I, I enjoy the, the very ominous nature of how this one starts and I love what is happening with the lead guitar the, I, get, I gotta call them dissonant power chords showing up again just like we got in the first track really kind of screwed up but here they're even, they've gone even further the setting is a lot darker than Beneath Fields the guitar is trying to match that the guitar is just screwing itself up it feels like instead of something forcing it it's in it's making a conscious decision to be a messed up noise and i like it i really enjoy this sort of playful nature but i don't like something that happens for the first time in this track this guitar extends into when the vocals step in and when you have these two competing with one another it does a lot to detract from both well, I think also my biggest attractor for this track that you figure out pretty quickly as it's on the shorter side is that this is the most kind of mainstream structure we have on the album. It feels, I mean, it is very verse chorus. It's short enough they kind of have to fit that the format in, in some sense. Uh, but yeah, it has a much tighter melody and song structure, which isn't necessarily to say that's what I wanted out of this album. It actually leaves less room for structural criticism, except... Uh, the obvious criticism of the said structure. And I think for me it also just felt a little less honest and engaging than the other two tracks it felt. I mean, especially track one, I was very enraptured by, whereas here, because it fit into the structure, I kind it kind of took me out of it a bit. I mean, for sure her vocals were kind of bleeding with the guitar a bit, and I just didn't feel in, as enraptured and warm in her vocals as I had felt in the previous two tracks. Well, that, that cluttered guitar work on top of it, or behind it, or trying to support it, didn't, didn't quite work out it drowned out a lot of the softness and warmth that we have come to expect with this vocalist we're already over 10 minutes in and this is a 45 minute we're a quarter of the way through and they completely show us something different I, they didn't change the vocals though they didn't change the guitar it's still doing the things that they were doing beforehand but putting them together really does show that they are at odds with one another in style um I am going to bring up a bit of reflection of the problem I had last track, though, and that was, once again, the disparity between headphones and, and speakers. It didn't come up again on this album, but it did come up in these two tracks back-to-back, -back, which I thought was really, really strange, um, and that was the inverse this time. On headphones, I actually really loved the solo that they, they developed about two-thirds of the way through this track. I thought it was much tighter um, in, in context. I thought it worked great because of that fade-out. Uh, that was really expertly done uh, the fading out of of the solo back into everything else Everything just thins down you hear all these screeches and squeals from the guitar It was isolated and I thought it was distinct and that's the kind of stuff that really gives me chills in the end It, it made the next verse feel so satisfying um, by contrast that was the experience on headphones go figure on speakers Kind of blurry kind of weird. 
I listened to it a few more times, obviously, outside of just simply once on headphones and once on speakers, but it just so happened that it was actually the same exact disparity each and every time. And I, 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 I don't know why that is. I just know that... Uh, I guess the more recent experience was the one on speakers. That's the one that's fresh on my head, and yet I can't, I can't deny what I felt the first time on headphones. Maybe it's just a balance issue. I don't know. It could be. I mean, I, I definitely agree with you on the solo for sure, that it did feel more clustered than a lot of the other solo work we'd gotten beforehand. It did... And I think it, I think for me, ultimately, it comes down to the structure of this track. I think that's where most of my problems come from. Possibly if it was extended or not verse-chorus, it might have worked better for me. But to hone in on your word choice, by feeling clustered, was it more cluttered? Or was it tight, tightly tighter, structured? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess I'm undecided other than... I'm undecided on where I land with it. I just know that it stands out to me, and I still can't quite grasp whether that's good or bad. Actually, no, I, I will make a stance here. It was it was just tighter, more regimented, and that, I think, was the detractor for me. It wasn't, it wasn't free and natural the way the other pieces have already sounded. Well, I will admit that apart from this little, you know, minor point that I'm bringing up, just objectively, in either environment, headphones, speakers, regardless, if you're looking at the song itself and its place in the context of the album, it, it, it does bring up the question of whether they are really stand out too much on this on the shorter tracks because what we experienced in the first track was the fact that it's so prolonged and immersive that at least by the sixth and seventh minute you feel like you're completely sold on whatever they're trying to sell you um but in three minutes it's just kind of this cursory glance and it doesn't feel terribly thorough but if you're talking about thorough the next track rama at <laughs> 10 minutes 29 seconds long it's longest exactly, track. Longest oh, this, track on the album. But this is exactly what I wanted on this album. Ooh, this and this was, speaks this to, was, the, to what I just said. This is an example of the, of the kind. Exactly. This track is, right up front, my favorite track on the album. And it's a quarter of the album all by, all unto itself. And I love the way it starts. Bass. A bass that I've noticed here and there and bass that I've enjoyed throughout the album so far but it starts right up front and in now your it's, face. It's more prominent. The, the the timbre of it is extremely muffled, but it also has this slight echo effect on it. Um, and because there's not much else going on here in the beginning of the song, you're hearing the sound of the fingers sliding up the metal strings, which sounds really, really cool with that echo effect. So, props. Yeah, and that mixed with the percussion that comes in shortly after, that's pretty low-key, like some of the tribal percussion we've gotten before. It creates this kind of, you know... I don't want to say noir, but definitely this kind of slinky environment. It does feel a little dark or a little mysterious, which I really like. It gives me a kind of sense of wonder that I hadn't really gotten yet on this album. And speaking of the percussion, to start off, the bass really is the percussion. It's this whole, like, one, and, and, and one, and, and, and one. And it's 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 in the vein of this, the pacing at least, is in the vein of like the Bill Withers era, like 1971-72, this like early R&B soul, but like born out of the tradition of the blues style. And even when the actual percussion, the, the drums finally settle in, it's very pared down. It's very just basic, just a little tap on the hi-hat, a little light, um, but quickly snuffed out uh, tap on the snare. It's just completely in the background because the bass is definitely more prominent and then the guitar comes in as a the it's almost another aspect of that same percussion the way it's it's nice real low key uh simple chordal work just sort of echoing the bass itself everything's coming together as 
an extremely hollow, large, open area. I mean, we've said that a couple of times now that everything's so big and grand in a lot of these, these, these soundscapes that are coming about. But here, everything, it's like lattice work on top of everything else. It's just so beautifully expansive. Yeah, and 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 even if it hasn't been stressed enough, uh, the, the the slow paced nature of all of this. It's 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 not just you know that it's relaxed. It really is pretty slow. We're talking like seventy one beats per minute here. Um, you know the, the the drums are really just a timekeeper. Um, and frankly, because it's so slow, should some credit should be do even though we're not like raving about the drums throughout this album it is kind of a feat just to keep that that beat at that pace in fact i i was i was i'm not even sure they did that with a metronome it might have been a little bit off like it gets a little bit off around like two minutes or something in where i wasn't quite sure whether it was like 71 or 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 70 or 72 i was trying to like figure it out because i was i was curious and and it seemed to get away from me a little bit so uh if that really was done without the the ticker then i'm i'm very impressed Either way, I, I I do agree. The pacing of especially the whole intro here is um, the layering specifically is probably what's more important. And then following uh, the opening verse, uh, there's a melody here. There's a familiarity here again that I can't particularly place this time around. I have I have been able to do it uh, up to now, but now I can't do it. And frankly, I don't care. This track is so well done. I'm not going to try to compare the melody to anything else. I already compared the pacing to everything else, but the melody, it's its something of itself. What I really like also about, as we move into the actual vocals that come in... That's what I'm talking about, yeah. And we move towards the chorus of this song, or the finger quotes chorus. It's kind of hard to tell, especially on this track. But we get the first time that she's breaking the mold vocally because she kind of goes into this falsetto that's much higher than anything she had done before. And what I really like about it is it it lends an extra character to this already very interesting soundscape, as John put it. Kind of even more developing this this thing we have that I'm still not quite sure how to box. There were two voices there, yes. actually. That was the, the, the chorus you're speaking of. And there was this huge swell. And it, there wasn't a transition. It seemed to follow directly uh, following the verse. And it was like around 2 minutes, 25 seconds. And there are at least two vocals present. Uh, for that chorus, and I love the way they just drop everything um, from the climax following. What I even loved more than the initial swell into the chorus was the way they they develop out of it. It just, they drop everything and leave it and return immediately to this this whole opening segment, the the transition that essentially mimics what they were doing in the intro. Yeah. And, And then the lead guitar starts stepping in, but in this case, when it does step in to start working alongside the vocals, it's complementing. It's very fragile and very careful not to really break what uh, we're hearing through the vocals, what we're hearing from our, our, our lead protagonist in, in some ways. We are just getting like legit comping going on, legitimate just pacing and, and just playfully showing up and then scampering away and then showing up and scampering away. Well, mostly using the same motif, the exactly, same guitar yeah. motif, which, Matt, you described as a kind of slinky feel. And I think that's a good way to describe it because it just kind of winds its way down the scale there. It's it's really quite gorgeous and it blended perfectly um, with the vocals, even though it's really just as impressive without them. What's interesting also as this track progresses is that I feel it is kind of this unquantifiably tragic song. And I mean, the vocals aren't giving away a distinct narrative, but I don't know. I felt my heart tighten, my throat swell. Like it was, it just, you know, like I'm getting choked up, but I'm not quite sure why. But I get a sense of translation of emotion 
through the instrumentation and through the vocals, at least how they sound. It's really interesting because usually when something feels tragic, you can point to a specific instrument or a specific phrase or something that gives that impression. But here, it was the amalgamation of everything I feel like that actually led me in that direction, which is really interesting. Well, the title itself actually, uh, Rama, <laughs> initially mm -hmm. led me to the, the title Rendezvous with Rama by Arthur C. Clarke. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, though, I can't make the comparisons because that's a book that I've been told to read for a very long time that I would probably enjoy, but I haven't actually read it. So uh, I don't know if that's anywhere within their um, in their interest of building the song or making any relations back to that. But it's a weird title, Rama. Just out of context, means nothing. And we have my favorite guitar solo on this track. And not just because it's both the most chaotic and the most, like, clear-cut and concise. It feels like it's constantly falling off the rails, but the rails themselves keep changing to fit along with the guitar itself. But what it does towards the end to get us back to the verse is pretty unique to a lot of the music we've listened to. The guitar doesn't change anything but hollow itself. It goes straight into a tunnel, and when it hits this tunnel transition, when it finds itself again on the other side, it's perfectly back at what it was before to lead you right back into a verse. I, I found it to be one of the most beautiful moments of this entire album. Just to be able to go from something that really was, was outside what the song originally intended, the transition itself was, was, was a masterful piece of work, really. I agree uh, about the solo hands down. I mean, I think also for me what I really liked about the solo is that it felt frenetic, but not consistently frenetic. It was in moments. Yeah, there was a bass. Everything in this song still touches back to home, still reaches that spot so that you're losing cohesion, but it comes back. But also, like, I agree, like, how the end, it kind of feels like it's going through a tunnel. I felt like the way the, it kind of vibrated or quavered could be the whammy bar, but I felt like it really kind of almost felt like we were falling through a wormhole even throughout the whole solo. It's just that a lot of interesting kind of environmental things happened with this song along with the emotionality that kind of made it a very interesting journey. More interesting than anything else so far, for sure. And then after this solo, and after this this final chorus, we get a drum petering off into the distance. The same drum that we got in the very beginning. I love that drum. Yeah, and it's just simple, and it starts going on, and it starts going on, and right when it's about to get annoying, we go right into another solo, an exit solo, the actual outro of the track. Let's not also forget the words that were being cited, repeated over that, this spinning darkly down, spinning darkly down, while all you hear is just the, the this, uh, to say pared down doesn't even begin to describe it. It's around, we're talking like six minutes, 50 seconds in where we've just died down. It's just the drums, super, super light guitar in the background, and then just those words, spinning darkly down. There's spinning your wormhole. darkly down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then when it goes back into that final solo. What well, then, well, then the drums just alone by themselves. Right. Excuse me. It actually strips away the spinning darkly right. down. Then it's the drums by themselves, and then we get another solo. And that, and that solo, I think, is what John cited off the air, truly like the release of this song because we go up we go down we go left we go right it, it kind of gives us this final release where we can kind of let go of everything that's been created in this world of a song which actually had uh like 
two guitars or maybe three guitars i think it was like there's a lot of dueling going on it's here. hard you to tell it i mean very frenetic all of the solos on both sol set of solos on the song seem to be a conglomerate of stuff and so it's very hard to pinpoint specifically well, what one, guitar is what making the what one tone difference that i had about the the the, the first solo is that even though it was p particularly prolonged it, it felt uncomfortable at times it didn't necessarily it didn't seem to be as much stacking going on it right. was definitely getting you know strung out but this one at the end it's it's much more empowered yeah it's and it's cluttered in the best possible way it's anarchy yeah. going in the streets by the time we get to the end it's basically just a fight between this noises going on and i love that it naturally felt like it was this fight it felt like it was devolving and it's hard to make noise and i did mention some of these musicians have a noise rock background it's hard to make noise enjoyable and they did they showed me how where it came from can make this noise enjoyable that is beautiful that was just great i love this song for uh 10 minutes and 29 seconds I can't say that about many other tracks. It, it parrots what I said about the first track. Seven minutes going, and the, the opening track completely had me for its entirety, maybe because it was also slow and paced, and this had the same thing, and they managed to step up you know, the stakes all the way up to ten minutes. Um, yeah, they succeed on the long form, something we rarely see. Normally that's where uh, bands tend to you know, start to lose sight of themselves. Let's uh, see what we get in track five. This is a little bit shorter, actually about half the length, come to think of it. Um, it's called Faro. It's about five minutes, 16 seconds. This is the first time we truly get something that from the moment it starts feels trippy. Feels like you're on something. The the kind of wonky guitar work that we get in the very beginning. I'd wonky, argue... Wonky's not the word. No, wonky has a different connotation. This is a madman. This is, this is someone who is stuck in a loop because, you know, the definition of insanity is doing something over and over again. And that's what this feels like. It feels like something just off-key, he can't break away from it. But I don't want to oversell it personally, because I feel that in some sense, by being more traditional in what we tend to associate as, you know, quintessential class uh, or psychedelic rock, it, it's, it feels a little bit cliched. It feels like the cliched version of what we perceive as psychedelic rock. Um, certain little things they use, the excessive uh, whammy bar or, or vibrato, whatever they're using there, and then uh, other things like the emphasis on the flat five, you know, little pages of Black Sabbath and whatnot. Um, and also the fact that it has motion to it. Granted, I, I, I mentioned very early on the album that the in general, the whole thing, even when it gets a little bit busier and a little bit quicker paced, I still feel like there's some semblance of motionless. Like you haven't really left the couch. So then even when you get an upbeat song, it, it leads me to the assumption that you're tripping your balls off, but you're motionless. You're motionless, you're absolutely still, but in your head, something's going on. Uh, that's just how I take it, but that's also a pretty cliched image in my head, I think, of what people perceive of psychedelic rock. I, I mean, I will say, besides trippy guitar intro aside and the way the song kind of builds and does feel kind of manic, the vocals this time around really do bleed into the mix. They they don't stand out as they have in the past. They kind of fall into the instrumentation and no. not necessarily a bad thing, but I just, I feel like I'm losing them here in this song. There's two parts of the vocals in this track specifically. There's the actual more traditional storytelling and then there's the mantras. The when everything goes low key, you just hear almost muttering, almost just a, a, a repetition, a, another little aspect of insanity showing through. 
that is really cool. I like that. But it's the more interesting part because the other, the storytelling, the actual sung word that's going on right here, you can't hear. You can't even really feel it. It's 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 just being drowned. I'm somewhere between you two because uh, for the vocals, I did at first think they seemed oddly disconnected. Um, but at the same time, I don't know that maybe I'm about to cite a third instance of, of headphone speaker disparity where I felt like they were a little bit better on the speakers. I'm not entirely sure. But the chorus, I can say, in both cases, I, I particularly enjoyed. But it's brief. It's the only part in this in this track which feels particularly consonant. Like, it, it, it's everything comes together and it doesn't feel so strung out all of a sudden. It's, it's very, very brief, but it is, that's actually what I found to be a kind of mantra, just because it was such a, a short chorus. But I think the part that you're talking about, John, is really the transition that followed. This, yeah, like, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish upon, I can't like, quite make out what those lyrics are, but I heard some wishing that was going on in there, and then the, the guitar is traveling right alongside it, just kind of reflecting, I guess, the, the uh, mental state of the character in question. It's also not 100% there. And then uh, the drums and the bass, they're stuck in this hip hypnotic loop. Nothing really, nothing crazy going on, but they're in complete sync so that whenever you hear the drum, you're hearing the bass right alongside it. So it's just like this this thumping heartbeat. Um, it's, I don't know. It's emotional. Well, but it stays that way. It's not the I'm, build on top of it is just adding to it. And this is the one time I'm going to critique it. They stayed with something that I kind of wanted to change. I mean, I don't know that I would even say it was emotional. The last song was emotional. This just felt kind this of. This was a different emotion. This uh, was, I guess, but it wasn't nearly we, as clear. No, we get manic songs. It seems like quite often nowadays. No, I think I would argue that, you know, what Matt said, I think I would argue that it is clear and that it's too clear. I think it leaves okay. very little up to the imagination for me because of what I said in the beginning. This is just your psychedelic rock. You could put it in stock footage if you want or, you know, stock uh, audio clips to be used in said environment where you want to create this effect for YouTube video backgrounds. It would do a really, really good job. Even in the last 20 or 30 seconds of the track, it still remains pretty cliched in a sense. The percussion drops out and now it's once again strung out because I have no better term for this. The guitar is kind of unwinding. It's crazy. It's 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 the classic like at the end of Woodstock where they just finished playing the song but they let the feedback go for just a little bit too long. Sure. And even that in itself has been a soundbite that has been used in I feel like too many things. There was nothing really special about it to me, um, but I'm sure it was fun to play in, in practice sessions. I mean, I will agree with both of you, even if we're coming at this from different angles, that it did leave something to be desired. Like, I felt like something was missing. I definitely didn't get into this, especially as much as we were into the previous 10-minute track, by any means. Oh, good. We, we need some more arguments in this podcast. Right. <laughs> track 6, 17 Landscapes. Why not 16? Or even 15? Why 17 Landscapes? 17 is a prime number. Matt that's Storm, a good Matt number. Is it really? Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Matt Storm asking the hard questions. I do. What does 17 get divided by? That's a whole number. Good Just point. Just like You could go through the math. We'll talk about the song. I'm good. Thanks. At <laughs> 7 minutes and 14 seconds. Oh, that bass. Another bass intro. Love that bass. But this is more along the lines of, it feels like a western. That's what I got the vibe right away. It felt like a yeah, western. Yeah, kind of back to that again a little bit. The guitar picking, once again, is putting context with that bass. But in this case, it's not really meshing. It's more of just providing a, a, like an exposition of what the bass was doing. The way it wails on top of the bass and the, the drums, it's, 
it's deciding to break free as opposed to earlier when it was, you know, nice and tight and, and providing that lattice work. Here it's it's becoming more of a character of its own. It's it's more providing like maybe the lighting in this case of the setting yeah, that's going that's on a good, here. See, that's 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 why you threw me with the word picking because I wouldn't even see it as picking. You don't have much of attack at all. It seems to, it seems to be all effects. It's the kind of thing that if it were, if it were any other podcast where we're always searching to see what the hell is making that sound, we just finally say synth. <laughs> here, here we're pretty sure it's all guitar that they have a, a pretty you know raw uh, instrumental setup here. But it's it's they 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 use the effects pedals to the to the greatest their greatest advantage. Um, and it does contrast really really well with the bass, just kind of holding down this 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 rhythm one two three and four and and then over in the space over the next measure while there's just this 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 one holding out um the bass just rings then you get that that guitar wail creeping in like like sea otters or something like that no it's, it's strange. coyotes Sure, that'll fit, no, that'll I fit my Western theme. It, it will. There you go. And, and of course, we have to fit John. <laughs> right, obviously. What I would like to harp on, though, also is that something that Steve said about just assuming things are synth. Yep. There's not really any synth at all on this album that I can tell, and I kind of find that refreshing. And they do so much without it. Right. It, it's, it is it's kind of really a nice release. But here in this song, like I love the kind of environment this is building because this is where we truly get the closest to a dark noir kind of mysterious feel. But it's still very subdued, and I like that. I like what they can do with low tones and a subdued environment that really kind of makes you want to lean in. You know how like you're at a really good show or or theater piece and you just lean in? You yeah. can feel people around you leaning in? Like even, that's kind even, of what the even song kind is. of like holding your breath in a yeah. certain way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and there was actually I I thought it was it can be a little terrifying in all of this. I mean, like it's there's a dour environment because the guitar is always worrying and whining and and squealing, sometimes sounding a bit tortured. We can't be sure in what way it actually is being tortured. We just know it is it is unsettling and it, it's not really consonant. But there are some consonant moments here, uh, like around one minute forty one seconds after the vocals really begin. Um, I, I I can't say with the context of this particular quote, but it did come particularly at the line "living at your feet." or something to that effect. But anyway, if you go to 1 minute and 41 seconds, you will find it. But it's like a moment of tonal escapism, if that means anything to anybody, because for one second out of this otherwise dour, terrifying environment, it, there's like this moment of beauty, uh, and it didn't really return anywhere else in the entire track. It just kind of kept it, it, moving on from that. It kept getting more spooky until, I guess, uh, the chorus around uh, 3 minutes 12. Yeah, that slow urgency the guitar was wailing about really starts to come to a head in this part and everything starts coming to a head. Because it gets so much louder than the previous parts of the track had been and it all kind of winds up with the the vocals. And I love love the heights here. It's beautiful heights here. The falsettos that we get here are not multiple vocalists. It's just her and not that one's better than the other, but I just like that we get to really see where her voice can go. Yeah, I, and it's I, it was better. It was better and in it was some com- ways. But it was completely captivating, I thought too. there were other vocalists. I thought there were others uh, kind of overlapping in it the background. I felt harmonies within this, and that's where not I kind of got voice, the voice. Not at the height. Not at when she hits that note and oh, then yeah. drops right. right back down. Now I know what you're talking about. That yeah. instance there were, was phenomenal. The build and... The attack. It's so nice to feel you coming over to my side. You're, you're looking at the micro, micro oh, this moments. Is, 
Because I was uh, I was looking at like the overall structure of the chorus itself, where there were other vocalists, but nah. that one there is that moment where it's just undeniably her, and it goes whew, oh, way the hell up there for 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 a track that's seven minutes fourteen seconds, no less. Like the moments here, and it it does become a moment by moment nature on a lot of these songs, but the moments are so elongated. The moments are fifteen seconds, twenty seconds, thirty seconds in some cases. That chorus, that attack when she she really does hit the highest she hits is five seconds long, 10 seconds long. It is a, a an elongated piece. It feels very crystal clear and cut, but it's not because there's so much buildup on this track. Elongated moments, contradiction though it may be, captured by Heron Oblivion. Um, I, th- I think though the only downside to this track for me is probably the fact that these things that we're kind of touting are the only things it does, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't break the mold like previous tracks had. It kind of stays within the structure this song has built. And that's okay, because I like where we are. I like the pool we're waiting in. It's just the pool isn't very big. It's kind of a section. And and After that break, though, there is something else that happens that's a little bit different. We get a pure vocal-acoustic-guitar combination. That's something... A, it's not new in the grand scheme of things, but it is very new on this album. But B, and more importantly, it's if it's extremely grounded and a great counterpoint to that chorus. I would it's agree a, with that. It's not just you know putting a contrast. It's it recenters you. I love the home of this album. I love where we keep ending up. And here's another great place. The to chorus end up at. is easily my favorite part of this track. Um, the vocals, in fact, within the chorus, easily my favorite part of that. Um, but I did like a couple of other moments, like in the second verse. I liked how the guitar was in the background there, just creeping up b- behind the vocals a little bit. Yeah, just pulling pulling little threads out of everything else that was going on. Yeah, I, a lot of nice stuff. And frankly, I gotta compliment the drummer for just showing up. <laughs> Not really. It, it's, well, she had to sing too, so. Yes, <laughs> she had to sing. But I, 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 like I said, it is a real challenge to keep the pace that she manages to keep. So, all things considered, yeah. I mean, it's... it's it, it, it does what it needs to do, and, well, that has, it's not the first time that would be said about certain bands. <coughs> Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, shots fired. Yeah, they've been shot. Um, if track- Ringo listens to this podcast, bring it on. Because <laughs> there's no way. I, ser- I, I seriously do. I genuinely think he did what was required no, for the course, Beatles. Sure, I, 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 I only say it half sardonically. <laughs> anyway, track seven, Your Hollows. Uh, this is the final track, and we shorten it just slightly to 6 minutes, 13 seconds. Um, lot of spaciness in this track. Mm-hmm. Folk rock spaciness. Sure. Though. Yeah. Sure. I mean, like, purely folk rock. This this feels like a rhythm, a melody that I've heard a lot. It feels like it was born in the 1960s, and has just been something that's a go-to for, for what folk rock is. Well, yeah, and vocally, it goes back to that, too, kind of flat but breathy kind of vocals that feel warm and comforting like the, the vocals in the first track did you know which isn't so bad I mean Steve kind of brought up that that the kind of singing she's doing on this record for the most part could be considered less skillful because it stays in a specific flat area but that doesn't necessarily mean it is it just can appear that it way it is a flatter style of singing it's it's a, it's less colored but yes in some ways that makes her sound more natural i mean i would compare that in some sense to amy lee of evanescence a little bit also uh to dolores o'rordan from uh the cranberries sure so it- it, it it it's definitely in that vein. Or Reardon. Or Reardon. I don't know. It's Irish. <laughs> I know. It's Irish. We're not Irish. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that this song 
is kind of trying to do a blending a little bit of what has happened on the record. There are some moments, I think, that stand out between guitar drone that comes in later and the vocals where they're going. It's kind of trying to, I feel like, blend the instrumentation and the structure and the sound that we've been getting for the record. I enjoyed the solo here because of uh, something that you actually uh, pinpointed. I didn't originally, and that was the fact that there are two guitars um, at play here, but one does seem to be a lot more constant. It just holds down a singular drone, and then you have the secondary guitar, which is a lot more colorful. And it seems like in, in, in some ways, maybe further into the solo, the, that droning guitar might get a little bit more cluttered itself, but then return to a separate drone entirely. Yeah. It was it was, it was was interesting. It's something I don't think they was... had necessarily done, but it wasn't a standout-ish moment. It was just interesting. It was it was the, the, the lead guitar convincing the rhythm guitar to get, you know, up, up in the game. But he's like, no, 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 i got to take a step back. This solo was almost masturbatory. On any other album, on any other song... It was pretty wonky. It would have been masturbatory. Yeah. But it does still work within the framework because it, it focuses on the distortion. It focuses on being abrasive. I like it. It works here. But this wasn't a very high point of the track, and it wasn't really a very high point of the album for me. It kind of petered off at the end of the day for me. It, it, it left me wanting when you really get down to it, this track and this solo. I think that was intentional, though. I mean, think about it. Even with the solo and then what that becomes as it kind of evolves this track as we get a little bit more cluttered and things start to come apart as we get towards the end of the track. I mean, it pretty much ends with a buzzing outro, a buzzing staticky guitar note outro. Which, ironically enough, I thought was the most modern thing on this album. Yeah, it, I, I mean, mean, it's felt very kind of uh, avant-garde almost. Well, like it was doing the same thing I described earlier on with like the Woodstock feel where you let the, 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 the feedback just kind of run its course, you know, almost independently. Mm -hmm. Lots of just just falling apart completely, but using slightly more modern technology perhaps to make that happen in sure. this case. I mean, also then they kind of hone on that buzzing and then fade it out. They don't really... Yeah. This is the first time on the track we really do get a held note that fades out. It's you know there were other moments. I think there was one other track that did definitely fade out, but more or less they came to a conclusion. Even if it was fading, it was pretty much resolving itself. Whereas here, it's kind of lingering and letting your mind wander. Which if you're going to do a kind of psychedelic experience, leaving on that note is not, I guess, so unfounded. Um, and that will be leading us to our wrap ups. But uh, before we get on that 100%, I do want to say this is this is rather glaringly omitting one crucial part of this album, and that is the lyrics. We did not really look at lyrics because, kind of what we said in the first track, they're really indiscernible at times. I tried, I tried to transcribe what I could, but it would be a little bit too splotchy. So, um, yeah, we didn't have that at our disposal, so we ended up treating this like we would treat an instrumental, which I was worried about in the beginning, but frankly I'm rather glad about because as is usually the case there when we don't have the lyrics to rely on, we get into some more interesting conversations. No, I would agree. And also I think that you know, I would even challenge our audience. If you know the lyrics or can discern them better than us, post away. Can, oh, please give me the lyrics if you can find it, because I spent the better part of an hour going through Google, and it did not work Leave out. Leave it to my John favorite. to pick newer records that there are no lyrics for. It yeah. came out on the 4th of this month. It was it was way too soon, I guess. I'll, next time I'll wait a week or two. Fair enough. Um, all right, so 
I'll lead us off into the wrap-up this week, I think. Um, Taking the onus off Steve? For once. There you go. It's just I look to Steve. He's so wise, so I like to let him go first. Oh, that's cheap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you're eating it up. I know. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. (laughs) Um, Please go before I change my mind and use my wisdom to my advantage. um, So I think I want to say a few things at the top here about this record. As far as an overall sound goes, it's not something unheard of. I mean, I feel like it does kind of fall into something that could be considered cliche and, and, and familiar. But that said, there are moments within it that I think kind of make it stand out. I will say, for a debut a- album, there's definitely talent here in at least knowing kind of what you're going for. It, it's reminiscent to me of when we did um, uh, Benjamin Booker with Nelson Lugo, which was episode... Um, 157. Thank you. And like how Steve kind of had this thing where he really liked what we heard, but he felt it was kind of still stuck of a time. And this record definitely is stuck of a time. There are modern moments, but more or less, this is somewhere in the nebulous 70, mid to late 70s, I'd say. Maybe even early 70s. It could kind of be anywhere in that Maybe decade. late 60s, maybe early 80s. It's, it's, it's you can't go past it. There are about a 20, year, a 20 year gap where this could kind of fall anywhere. I cut off it at 1980. I, it would I, not be in the 80s. That's, that's a fair point. I don't think. Um, but, you know, it's reminiscent of some classic singers like Janis Joplin, classic, you know, guitarists like Jimmy Page, I get a sense of in here. You know, I, I just, and this is just naming a few. I'm sure there are plenty more that can we be named. We named a few, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a distinct character that's missing here, but I don't know what that is. I don't want to say that. You know, like what we were saying in one of the tracks specifically, the uh, track five, Faro, was definitely missing something in that trippy, cliche medley that didn't make it stand out. I just feel like, for me, this is leaning towards the right above above average area only because I don't know what's going to make me come back to this over stuff we've gotten already. And that's what I think I'm really concerned with here. I think as a debut record from a band that I've never heard of, it's really good work really there's a skill and a love here and a passion that you can definitely feel but you know the only song that really stands out the most for me was the longest track on the album uh rama you know like i said i got a really strong emotional connection to that song other tracks kind of just left me feeling a malaise as john had put earlier yeah yeah and and you know that's not necessarily a bad thing like i mean as far as mood music goes if i wanted to um do something illegal that I would never do and be under that influence, this might be a good album to do it to, but I don't know that being sober, I find as much that I get attached to. Um, I don't know that I would even go back to it. I think there's a talent here and I think that they could build on this quite well, especially since I, I loved Meg's vocals. I think Meg had great vocals. She's headed in the direction of, you know, some of the great vocalists we've mentioned on the show, like Shara Warden, St. Vincent, you know, uh, even uh, Florence Welsh. Like these kind of women who just can get you enraptured in their voices. And, and I enjoyed that about Meg's voice. I just think the album as a whole could do more to stand out and I know we spent a lot of time last week talking about newness and that shouldn't just be about newness but there wasn't much else besides it existing in a bygone era that stood out to me so for that I I don't want to make it perfectly average I would I'd put it at a 375 because I think a 3.5 would be doing it injustice as far as the kind of talents that's being displayed 
Um, but I can't rate it much higher than that because I still feel like it's falling short of doing anything exceptional that really, really takes it to that next level. I agree with very, very much of that. I think there is... Obviously How's that fact, for wisdom, Steve? We will. I, I can't argue with the fact that it is of the time. I, I that's That was pretty much on my mind from the very first track to the very last track. Uh, occasionally there would be just like singers and, and little motifs here and there or melodies that were of a more recent time. Um, I don't think, though, it's like thoroughly a, a, a style study project, though. I, it, I think... Um, I think its members are somewhat on the older side. This may just go back to the type of music, well, they, they listen to, and so it's fresh in their head. It's not that they were consciously going back in time saying our debut album will be of this particular character. It's just what they know, and uh, maybe they feel they're furthering it. And it's not that I could sit here and argue that they're not furthering it, because it clearly is another notch in the belt of classic rock and psychedelic rock of the era. Um, you can put it within that particular pantheon, and I think it will have it will have a very very nice place. But yeah, pushing the genre along, I don't know if it necessarily does that. Pushing music along, I don't know if it necessarily does that. The one thing it really achieves is the the whole mood music concept of it. I really was placed in a sort of a zone with this album. If you're not scrutinizing it like we do and will we inevitably do for these podcasts and like we just did for uh, the better of 90 minutes, I think this is a really great experience just to sit back one through seven. All seven tracks here, many of them of of, uh, of in advanced length and <laughs> and just just enjoy it do whatever do the this the stuff that we said that you're not supposed to do but that you might was just as well do with a psychedelic rock do that or do anything maybe just have a nice conversation have it low in the background and this has been somewhat poo-pooed in in music and maybe we poo-poo it too much here the concept that music very often does serve a purpose to just fit a particular environment in whatever you're doing i would if this were playing, let's say, in a, in, a, in a coffee shop that I had just discovered randomly while walking this nice, quiet, uh, uh, dimly lit street, and I just went in uh, out of curiosity to see what they have, and I'm with someone, then if this were just playing really lightly in the background, I, w I think I would be so smitten by the moment that it would probably be a lifetime memory. And I think this album would capture that. To, to what degree, for whatever person it's going to, I don't know. Um, it's I guess that leaves me the unfortunate position of being all academic about this and saying that, no, I can't put it over a four, a four or over for those academic reasons. I don't believe it's offering anything particularly new on the grand scale. It 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 is very, very focused and aimed at that particular style, whether it was intentional or not. And so in the end, I, I think I'm really right with Matt. I think it's a 375. Um, it is on the better part of average because it exists in a in a better part of average place for said genre. I thoroughly love this album on a real instinctual level because it's everything I kind of grew up with. It, it's sort of like the culmination of so many things I grew up with because with all my, my leaning towards classic rock and all the various offshoots of classic rock, this was one of those areas that... I kind of discovered on my own. I wasn't really introduced it, so it was it was my type of music. It was my slow jam kind of music that was very personal to me. 
That said, it's so much like that music that it's right along the lines of Steve said. It doesn't it doesn't really offer anything new. It's what Matt said. It doesn't push genres. It doesn't doesn't break free of the mold. But I'm going to go back to this album. In, in direct con- contrast of what Matt said, I'm going back, especially for the chunky seven-plus-minute songs. These are just great pieces to just go zone out to. I don't have to be smoking or anything like that. He was talking about the weed people, <laughs> the marijuana. He, he was making that sort of a... Was I? Or was it? No, 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 not no, you. That, was, that was Matt. That was oh, Matt. sure. Yeah. Okay. It, it's, it really is sort of a throwback homage to that style but at the same time it has its own identity it's weird to to try to try to take psychedelic folk rock and and dissect it this way because there's a little bit of noise involved there's a little bit of prog involved there's a little bit of just pure rock and roll involved here and there in spurts there's so many different ideas that calling it psychedelic means that well we can't really name it specifically and I'm okay with that and it's a comfortable spot for this but Calling it psychedelic does really explain what it is because of how nebulous the album is in and of itself. It's got the arc, it's got the theme, it's got so many components to it, but it doesn't have it doesn't have the same character. So I'm with you guys. It's not a four. I want to give it a four or five. I want to give it a five because I I I delved right in. This was this was half of my cake in eating it too here, but. Like, like Steve said, academically, it's just not quite there. So I'm not going to be as low as you guys, but 3-9. It's just shy of being a really great album. Had there been anything, had maybe the, the had we heard the lyrics, had they binded it together in some sense? I know, or if I there did were, not need that. Yeah, that, you know, you're right. Argument. I stick with what I said before. You and don't you don't need it, and I think we had better conversations the, for lack of it. The vocals and the electric guitar lead were enough lyrical content for me. Yeah. Between the two of them, they gave me enough of a story that I was able to latch on to. Yeah. Her voice is an instrument at, at the end. That's what I feel it as. That's that's the function it serves, and it's, I think, a more resonant function. I would agree. So, yeah. yeah. I want to touch on something Steve said a little bit earlier. And we've talked about the emotionality of music and the kind of emotion we need to be feeling to listen to certain music, you know, moods we have to be in to listen to certain music. But I think this spurs a kind of expansion on that as far as specifically mood music. And you know what I'm talking about. There are different kinds of mood music. Think like what we're saying with this. You know, you want to get high and listen to something that'll space you out. This album might be a good thing. Whereas you might take a late 90s R&B record. And if you want to get it on with your lady or man or both, you know, I believe, I believe we don't there charge. Was a song that said, let's get it on. There was and, by and Mr. It's Marvin Gaye. R&B, yeah. Um, so, but, you, you know, if you want to get in the mood, you know, for some hanky panky, there's kind of music for that too. You know, whether you're just having a really emotional conversation and you yeah. want a little bit of light background music here, I, it, it would it would, it would would definitely put shivers down the spine. It would maybe focus the moment a little bit more. Who knows? I, I actually think, strangely enough, to just close at this. Uh, uh, conversation on the album before we get into the conversation on mood music itself is that based on what John said I think I would go back to not just songs but go back to the album for that purpose sure not songs in fact and that's just the strange thing about it yeah. I think this actually is an album because to play a song even the 10 minutes ones would be too short to serve the kind of mood in question theoretically you'd be in an environment that would probably last for longer than 10 minutes yeah. whether it be conversation or any other things that you mentioned so you might as well start playing from track one and and get immersed into it from there on so i think i would go back to the album 
keep it, you know, in a, in a, in a slot somewhere for that purpose. Uh, but I, I, there's a lot of, I, 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 as I said, mood music does get poo-pooed. Um, yeah. And we have poo-pooed it because we'll say, oh, well, it only serves that one function. It doesn't deliver me that other thing. And yet that doesn't diminish the popularity of that music at all. No. This is the not. reason why elevator music is such a, actually a big genre and why they actually, you know, they make money. If you just say, I'm going to be an elevator music composer for the rest of my life, you're, you are probably you're pronouncing picked, it wrong. It's Muzak. Fine, Muzak. For the rest of your life, you probably have just picked the only stable career in musiciandom. Well, right. I mean, but this is also implying that every musician who fits that kind of mood music area is intending to do that. I mean, look, let's take Kenny G, for example. No, I'm sure I, didn't Kenny, want, I didn't want to bring him I'm up. not done. Uh, when, I'm sure when Kenny G started out, he wasn't trying to be a gag or the butt of a joke. He was trying to make music. And yeah. I think he's embraced the gag that's kind of come up around him. But same for Michael Bolton. Think about Michael Bolton and the, you know, 40 to 50 white women who love him. You're just picking them because they made cameos on John Oliver episodes. That's what you're doing. Actually, I was picking them because <laughs> they've made cameos on Lonely Island sketches, but well, teach that's your own. strangely coincidental then. Um, but, but no, seriously, it's like the, the reason you can exist is embracing kind of a place where you fall into. And you know what? I mean, Michael Bolton's got a buttery, soothing voice, so why wouldn't he make romantic music? Kenny, you know, it just... Kenny G knows how to make Hallmark Movie of the Week slash ABC Family Romance music. <laughs> now, so... I'm pulling it back. I'm pulling it back. Kenny G <laughs> really does get a bad rap. It's because people don't listen to him on the album scale. It's no. exactly what you prefaced him for. People use him now for mood music. Yeah. And and that's become panned because that's what it's been reduced to. You yeah. can't argue that he can rock that saxophone, that very strange oblong oboe-shaped saxophone. No, 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 no. He can I rock have. it. It's a Soprano saxophone, and I've been forced to listen to him on the album scale. I still don't think he's really all that good outside the realm of setting a stage. I think that he's a talented musician. Yes, I believe no, he's, he's probably extremely good he's at probably what he a does. virtuoso for that instrument. Because I yes. don't know of anyone else who plays that instrument. But but at the same time, it's hard to see him doing anything but setting a mood with with just the composition of his work. But I agree with what Matt said. I think that it was not always that. That's right. just the perception that I think people have uh, presented him as to you, peripherally, whether directly or not, it's not really the point. It's just that's what you kind of were exposed to. So therefore, when you finally did listen to him on the album scale, it, there was a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a peanut gallery in your head. But that's the clarification I think I'm making when talking about mood music. Is I, I'm I want to specifically talk about music that helps you set a mood, whatever that mood is. You know, beyond the cliches, John, put your hand down. You're not, oh, I'm not uh -huh. calling on you yet. Uh, okay. Um, John was raising his hand for you know the visual. Uh, those I think they got uh, that. Okay. No, I want to know. They're, they're I want to make it clear. I made them smile for the visual. <laughs> what was your point? <laughs> my my point is is that I think that this discussion can can bolster music like. Uh, Heron Oblivion, as far as, you know, there's nothing wrong with this kind of music, especially if it fits a mood so specifically, you know, and I'm all for it. I mean, you're talking to a guy who spends a lot of his time making playlists for shows, either burlesque shows that he's working working at, or just for himself or his wife or whoever. Like, I like building playlists around a mood or a thought, and so the idea of mood music is not a bad thing to me, by any means. Well, some of my favorite songs I would actually regard more as mood-oriented than the actual musicality of it. Like, one of my... I love Gorilla Radio. I love that track. It's my psych-me-up track. Uh, other songs on that same playlist are 
flagpole sitta, a song I've talked about on this podcast quite a bit. It's something that's a go-to, and I don't look at it for the musicality of of what these songs are presenting because flagpole sitta isn't really anything new or different, but it's just perfect for psyching me up, for getting me, you know, pumped up and ready to go and go do something. Mood music is is whatever you want it to be, sure, but some pieces. Like what I'm naming right here, I really do have the opinion of work better on that scale than on the active listening scale, on the taking apart and putting it back together that we do here scale. It's it's just some things I don't see breaking out of being settings. I think it's because moods are different things to different people. Lots of music uh, that one group of people might say is are particularly fun and rousing and, and will get you going for any kind of party and whatnot, another group of people might say is annoying and brash and obnoxious. Um, I encounter that all the time. Uh, that Sometimes I'm on one side of the coin, sometimes I'm on the other. Um, it Also, the same thing goes for sad is kind of a little bit too broad, but particularly ruminative music, uh, while some people might find reflections of themselves strangely within the music present others might say that that's it's it's simply boring and they don't they don't establish those connections um those also go both ways so when you're dealing with cases like that then it's tougher to say whether it's mood music or not because then you're if you're not capturing a hundred percent of the populace which i think is really relatively impossible to do then it's not mood music anymore which is why when we think of figures like kenny g or like elevator music or or other things they it's because just by sheer values the numbers seem to be higher because everyone has almost simultaneously agreed at least as close to 100% as you can possibly get yes it does serve that mood and you won't find too many people who will disagree adamantly I'm sure they exist well one of our favorite composers is is Williams and how can you separate things like the Star Wars score from what it represents how can you how can you separate his work from the moods and settings he created for them. But that's a little bit different because you're not... Um, we're talking more disco- discography and even beyond discography, perhaps the artists themselves, artists that seem to specialize in certain moods. I couldn't attribute one single mood to John Williams. The, by very nature, being a cinema composer for cinema, he has to be as versatile as possible and capture any mood that uh, the screen presents. And I do think that is, you may have hit on the bias, is because the reason we revere John Williams is exactly for that. The reason why he probably is a a relative five-star in most people's heads is because he has the ability to capture all of that at once. Not everyone agrees, but a lot of people seem to agree, and that means that we do tend to value versatility a little bit more than that singular purpose, just to just to end the devil's advocate point, because I do value that more, I guess. Well, I think also it's important to not forget something that you kind of hinted at and mentioned a little bit, but that moods, like music, are different to everybody, especially like a mood to you and an emotion to yourself, you know, when you go with that inward, it's very personal. Um, emotions and moods are probably more personal than anything else. It becomes more difficult to convey because it, it's built on so many complex neural pathways that have to do with your own particular experiences in life. And they lead you to experience this music in a certain way. How can you convey that to someone? How right. can you say, well, you have to imagine this and then this and then this and listen to all of this other mu- set of music first that will establish some sort of primer for said album in question. Now you can 
for lack of a better uh, phrase, feel what I feel. Yeah, I mean, well, it was even when we touched on depression with uh, Pamela Parker. It's the idea that, you know, to one person, you have crushing depression that destroys you inside and out, that limits what your ability to do on a day is. And to someone else, they're just looking at you going, oh, you're sad, so what? Like, it's yeah. just it's it's just so different on a person-to-person scale. It becomes a fundamental communication problem, really, than anything else. Yeah, and I think that when discussing music like this album and albums of the like that you're attributing to specific moods i think it comes to a perspective and when your perspective lines up with what the album or the artist or the entire genre is trying to convey you fall into the same place and you'll find like-minded people but it won't necessarily always be as ubiquitous as say like we talked about kenny g and the fun that's poked at him well, that's you know just... or yanni even you know these <laughs> these artists who are who I are, used to love or Enya. I, interestingly, then I used to love Yanni. I, I was, Yanni too. I was, I, I got that album of Live at the Apollo, mm-hmm. uh, and also watched um, the this the special, which was yeah, uh, shared sure. on TV. My dad I got had, it for me as a kid. I had broadcast back then; it was pre-cable for me, and uh, I I absolutely adored that. We our stereo was, I think, brand new because our older stereo had been broken for a long time, and that was mm-hmm. one of the first things we did was was get the the cassette recording of a Yanni uh, CD that we had borrowed from a friend of someone you know my dad worked with or something right. really extraneous like that and I, as like seven year old or something like I was yeah. jumping up and down on on, on, sure. the, on, the, on the on the couch it was it was insane it was flourishing I don't know on what levels I was really comprehending the stuff at play but I knew it was it was jubilant and that yeah. in itself was a mood I felt there was more complexity there but he does you know because I think it's because people labeled him new age yeah. and new age is one thing to many people and not much else yeah it's it's the kind of stuff you use for uh, to pick a specific environment doing yoga or meditating what have you yeah I mean well it it just comes from this thing that when you're listening to these bands you kind of fall into this specific place and I think in internally you determine that I don't think it's necessarily always just the artist that determines that I think it's where you go uh, internally that leads you to that conclusion and it whether it's something as obvious as as some of the artists we've mentioned or maybe things that are less obvious i mean for example it's become very popular at weddings and parties if there's a dinner or sit down or very you know conversation heavy but focused moment where food is involved the band postmodern jukebox is often played because they do jazz covers of pop songs and so it fits a very specific mood that you would want when people are sitting chatting and having dinner or or the time of year like around christmas when most people uh in america are reminded of all the the big standards uh, and the rat pack individuals um they you can forget about them for the better half of the year but then all of a sudden it's just like no no nearer you get to december 25th i want to hear that i want to hear that right now except you man you're jewish right i know all things christmas I, I Sam is not real, you know hate that, the right? Music, it's it's terrible and should be brought outside and shot. I'm just kidding. I just I just can't stand it anymore. Okay, well, I was about to punch John. That's well, you yeah. you also work in a train shop. So. Yeah, and I have to listen to it for a month. Yeah. solid. I make sure that it doesn't go on to that would drive anybody Thanksgiving. That would. And I'm the first to admit it's not my it's not like a full on annual thing for me. Sure. I am 100 percent within that particular portion of the population. I like it at a time, not always at every other time. 
I think that uh, ultimately what I'm what I'm trying to bring up when bringing up mood music is that I don't think like everything else that we talk about that has cliches and kind of can be overlooked is that you shouldn't assume and write off something because something fits well in an apartment store or fits well for a romantic evening or fits well for a quiet dinner or fits well for getting stoned on your couch you should just write it off as less important than other music I think um, for those people who like those bands or are in those moments, that's important to the emotional state you're in at that time. And that can be just as impactful. Yeah, like our usual conversations. Pick the middle road. Uh, moderacy is the best policy. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, Don't I pick just, a side. Yeah. I'm just of the opinion sometimes it's hard to do that. And sometimes it might even be impossible. Because how often can you really say... I like big butts and I cannot lie and fit it into a nice, you know, sweet evening at home with the kids. I mean, some music inevitably is that's, going to be within a certain... That's what I was about to mention. There is some of, of, of objectively, you can take some pretty harsh stances with this because it is, after all, determined by a certain group of people and that is, well, the radio or anybody who actually has a platform, a studio, a, a store in which they will be broadcasting music to the public. These people have to make choices and they can't take the road that we usually take. We you know, moderacy, try to include a little bit of everything, you know, for everybody. They're going off the statistics they're going off just hard numbers that are telling them this is what people like to hear this is what will ease them into a mood they they will contact people experts quote unquote that will tell them this is music that people will like to shop to it'll make them want to buy things it'll make them aspire to things and maybe use their credit card as opposed to the the cash in their pocket it's yeah. interesting well you, but it is you very very you cold you do that yourself. You, do you I? you've got your own little subset of department music. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not I'm not actually thinking about the uh, the sales involved. I'm thinking about the environment under which I'm am used to through my set of experiences hearing department store music and feeling either comforted or appalled. And I'll put a particular song in either of two categories as it happens. I would like to see Steve's um, appalled list. Appalled list of uh, of department store music. Yeah. I'm curious what would be on it. The Wrecking Ball? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that's in there. I and mean, it did played... lose its fangs a little bit after everyone loved it. I never loved it. I never you wanted it. That's an obvious no. failure. I'll leave the department store. No money. No money from me. <laughs> in fact, Macy's should never have played it. Wow. You're, you're honing on some specific references here. I was in Macy's. They were playing like a Wrecking Ball. It made no sense whatsoever. I was trying to buy Christmas presents. I was trying to pick How out something. How dare they? I'm, I'm buying something nice for my mom. And they're like, I came in like a... I'm in the jewelry section. It was a terrible idea. <laughs> you came in like a wrecking ball to, to the wreck jewelry the jewelry section. and buy it all. All right, I think we're getting off the rails. But the last thing I will say on this topic, uh, just to kind of swing it around, is that it, it can be mathematically achieved on one hand. You could approach it with the moderacy is the best policy on the other hand. But based on what you had said, Matt, about the... Um, uh, the, the, the sort of the stacking of how you feel and that might lead you to how you approach a certain artist or, or the mood with which you associate with it. It's very possible that that uh, in some point in the not too distant future, we could actually um, make that more relatable to someone else. Because right now it seems insane that you could actually uh, tell someone, oh, well, th these were my experiences that led me to how I feel about that particular artist. Here, here, here are my experiences. You can't do that, right? But 
there's actually been a little bit of research in in how memory works. Uh, it was actually an, an episode of Nova called Memory Hackers, where they're actually developing the technology to record memory and record experiences. So that means at some point in the future, we might be able to record memories of our lives the way we record, you know, uh, the way we take images, the way we take images on our phone or take little home videos or, or, or write down things in our journals. And this is how we study the past or become nostalgic for the past. But if we were able to just transfer that over to someone else, it might offer a, first of all, scary level of intimacy. In the second hand, it, it might also, you know, you might develop rapport, relatability, utopian society, solve world hunger, all these like silly, ridiculous things. But it, the technology could be around the corner. It could be. I think it's a little terrifying, though. Also, they can do it with you rats. Can, you can. They're at the rat stage. Of course. That's, that's mammals. Yes. Thanks. Thanks, John. Science lesson. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I think it would be kind of intimidating just because also, like, if you can record your own memories and then eventually you get to a point, like, it would be great also because if you get to a point where you can't remember yourself, you're just, your mind is at that point, but then you'd be watching those memories as a stranger too, and that would be both comforting and terrifying. Well, well, that was just the thing. You can, you could do either. You could do it just to be nostalgic for yourself. You could do it uh, to to transfer it to someone else. You could. It's all just data. Or you could erase memories, or reimplant memories, or reignite lost memories. These are the kind of things that they're hypothesizing based on We're this technology. We're moving Total Recall, and it's terrifying. And it's oh, not, it, it, total it's not just Total Recall. Total it's recall. Total Recall. It's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Sure. It is. Uh, it's memento in a certain sense. If you're talking about reimplanting memories that that are not there to begin with for people that actually have memory problems, that could solve Alzheimer's. There are a lot of ways this could be used very, very positively. It right. also, uh, you know, it could be good for your friends, your lovers, but also your enemies. It's a little terrifying in that respect. Yeah, someone hacking your brain. That's always what I'm terrified about with this kind of minor tech is someone hacking your brain yep. or your eyeballs or something. Right. I don't know. They wouldn't like what they saw with my eyeballs. Anyway. I've seen some shit. Um, Uploading your life to the cloud will we'll take oh on God. new meaning. Oh, God, no. <laughs> um, all right, let's let Steve talk for way too long for once, and he'll give us our spam for the week, and then tell us what we're doing next week. Way too long for once? Our spam. Unfortunately, we've actually had uh, way too many real emails for our own good, so we have to go back in time now. We're not perfect, and we still have a lot of spam to cull through. <clears throat> I acquired a couple of ebooks that of training course advised me to add Farmville neighbors, but I quickly uncovered my so identified as Farmville cheats were very less than the most effective game guidebook and the Verfi simple review plan that anyone could have an understanding of if they would just take the time to quit shopping for the elusive Facebook Farmville cheats. The relationship amongst obtaining coins and luling up hasn't transformed too much, but new characteristics have routinely appeared in Farmville. You are able to gain many coins if you complete certain jobs, help others, harvest crops, and pretty much any task you can successfully complete, you will be rewarded coins. Bye. Farmville to cheats. That's the entity in question. I didn't know Farmville was still a thing. This could just be a really old spam. There's so much mobile gaming at this point that, like, I, I believe we've moved beyond the Farmville. Like, we've even... come full circle because there's a Steam game that just came out for the PC that's like Farmville or Harvest Moon, but better. I don't know. I can't keep it Something up. with a star, isn't it? Yeah, star or something. I know yeah, what you're no, talking about. I'm going to look it up. Anyway, um, thanks, uh, Spambot, for your spam mail. Uh, <laughs> your go very fuck yourself. unique spam mail. Um, All right. Uh, let's, let's move on, please, for the love of God, to um, what you're doing next week, Steve. What are we doing next week? Well, 
John may have poo-pooed the notion of going back to Indy. I'm taking us back to Indy. I don't know, something safe. We've been going in some crazy directions. I was gonna push us in a very, very scary direction, and then I said, all right, I'll be nice. I'll be nice for once, and let's go to something that is um, fairly new, January release by Aifa O'Donovan, or Effa. I'm not exactly sure how that goes. Kind of just like the, uh, uh, the lead singer of the Cranberries there, it's kind of hard to tell, but she's not Irish, despite what the name suggests. She's actually born in Massachusetts, but I'm sure there's Irish heritage involved. And the album is called In the Magic Hour. Folk, indie, in that vein. Interesting. Should okay. be something uh, a little more soothing. Well, today was kind of soothing, but this will be soothing in a completely different way. Sure, why not? Yeah. I'm all for soothing in a completely different way. We'll take it. Yes. It's, called, it's called Stardew Valley. Oh, you looked it up. I looked it up. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I can after, see what your priorities after are. After that, less than non sequitur, we will close out. Remember, music is life. And, and life, life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.